Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Yes, jingle bells, jingle bells. What is popping, y'all? It is your man, James. Say what, Sales Buckley. Happy holidays. Or I guess, you know, these days I should probably say something like, happy whatever doesn't offend you, right? That's typically like what this <laughs> is. Uh, do me a solid, change your chat settings down on the bottom right and let us know where you are tuning in from. As you know, we like to launch this question super early so that everybody can answer it and let us know what you are. This is kind of how we tailor the conversation to the folks that are in the room. I've seen a lot of senior leadership lately. I think I saw 18% senior leadership one day that I hosted the show, Jed, and then I saw 20% just a couple days back, and we are seeing more and more senior leaders, 21% already, a couple of seconds into this poll. Uh, let us know what you are in the chat. Tell us where you are tuning in from. That's what I'd like to see. What's going on, Tracy? Shout out to ATL Chicago. Minneapolis, what's going on in Minnesota right now? I bet it's like 11 degrees there. Spokane, what's popping? Are Canadians, Can Canadians always showing up in force? I love it. Florida, I see you, my home away from home. Ukraine, Mumbai, what's going on? Turks and Caicos in the house. 26 degrees right now, Buckley. Ryan, I feel for you. You know, I like the rain because you don't have to shovel the rain. All right, let's kick things off. Tell you guys what we're here for. We are going to talk about how to build hyper-relevant prospecting lists. Uh, let me know in the chat, how many lists do you work every day? Is it one? Is it two? Uh, you know, how many lists currently are you working every single day? Let me know in the chat. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about. The two experts that I have with me today, Mr. Jed Marley. Welcome back, my friend. What's up? Happy to be here. It's fun. Yeah. You know, speaker sign. That's uh, amazing, man. I, I, you know, you're such a good host. It's always a pleasure to host you. Your knowledge is vast. And my man, CEO, founder, and B2B catalyst, Scott Martinez. What is going on, my man? Hey, James. Thanks so much for the invite. You got it, dude. Uh, look at some of these numbers right here. People are working four lists, four to six lists, three one to two, there's like so much going on. Uh, I don't know how you guys manage all these lists. We're going to talk about some strategies about how to build more efficient lists. Maybe we could shrink that number down by the end of today. Scan this QR code. Check us out at sellbetter.xyz. That's the website that could tell you more about what we're doing, why we're doing it, who we're doing it for. That's you guys, the folks that are on the front lines every single day making the magic. And while you're there, explore our YouTube channel. I want to give a big shout out to our partners, JB Sales. Mad love for JB Sales. You guys know that we rep John and the team over there. Uh, Buzz, I am such a huge fan of Buzz. Some of you actually got invites from me from Buzz for this show. I'm really amazed at what that's done for my outreach and the things that I'm doing with strangers, which I don't know if you know, that's the job. Talk to strangers. Zoom info in the house. I want to give you guys one of the best things that we put out this year. These three lead to meeting power plays are going to help you book more meetings. Go get this. Shout out to Zoom info for partnering up with us to put that together. Those power plays are game changers. Free stuff right here, only at Sell Better in the chat. So thanks for coming. This is where you get the value. 34% uh, SDRs, AEs. Once again, we are at it. 18% senior leadership. Tell your friends, we need more leaders like you that are going to come in and change the game. Here's what you're going to get. Best practices. That's what we're going to start with. Mistakes that you're making. These are things you need to pay attention to that you could stop doing in 2024. Big time list right there. And then, of course, techniques and tools we always provide for you right here on the show, along with some tactics for solid triggers and how to use them. Scott, you sent me an amazing list of best practices. Break these three down. Talk about why they matter to people and how they can put them into action. Sure. So I think what's really happened over the last 10 years, a good way to think about it is 
that we thought that list building was just a few variables. Like, oh, let's get industry and company size. We'll talk about that later. Um, exact buyer did a study and only 46% of the LinkedIn industry tags are accurate. That doesn't even count the rest. So the, the big thing to understand here is you have an ideal customer profile. That ideal customer profile should be based on real people who paid you money. And you need to map all of the key elements into data points that form the criteria of your list. The good news about that, of course, is once you have those data points, you can actually personalize across them meaningfully at scale because that's how you built the list in the first place. Right. Um, and so I think this is the first thing is you need to build the lists for your reps because, and, and obviously you need to do this right for it to be useful. But if you don't, what's effectively happening is at least if you are building some, you're basically guaranteeing that 50 to 70% of all outreach is to the wrong ICP. In many cases, it's more like 80 or 90. Um, and then the next thing is to, to do that well, I think you have to look at it really in depth at the common characteristics. The easiest way to do this is look at your one deals in the last six months. And we'll cover, we can cover some key elements of that, but like what sub industry segments, what technologies do they have? How big were different departments? Were they growing or shrinking? Yeah. And they have specialized job titles. For instance, a revenue operations title or demand generation or head of community. The job title actually reveals the belief system. And then what you want to do, a lot of teams just build static lists and call it good. But what's really happening is when they do that, they're sacrificing the accuracy and the long-term scale. So yeah. one of the searches, if you don't like a lead, figure out what you don't like about it and then change your search so it doesn't show up in the list anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Don't just remove the lead, change the search, right? Uh, and I like this. I like this idea of building searches instead of lists. Jed, when you think about this type of stuff, what comes to mind for a best practice? We got a couple more on the next slide, so we'll keep moving. Yeah, I mean, Scott said a lot of things that I want to dive in deeper. I think particularly um, the inaccuracy of data. Like, I think I'm, I'd assume, and I guess drop one in the chat if you use Sales Navigator. I'm going to assume that we're going to get a lot of ones. But I know a lot of people start with building lists on Sales Navigator. And a perfect example of what Scott talked about is like. Let's say you sell to salespeople and your primary persona is like VPs of sales and CROs. If you yep. put in VP of sales, you're going to get a million regional VPs of sales or VP of sales West. And, all, and like those aren't the people you want to prospect, right? Because they're essentially account executives. So to your point, to Scott's point about building better searches is it not lists. You would maybe do an exclusion that says exclude the word regional, West, North, South, you know, all those different things that aren't in your primary persona. Yes. Um, my whole philosophy on it has been like spend the most amount of time like getting those searches right, building those searches. And for the the SDR teams that I've managed, I've actually just outsourced the list building for the most part. They'll still do some of their own. But I believe that if you can either hire, and I think we're going to talk about this later, hire a good outsourcer to build your list for you or implement, implement the proper tech, um, you can save a lot of your SDR team's time because you know, let's face it, if you're an SDR, you don't want to spend, you know, three hours putting together the perfect list. Eventually you kind of get lazy or you're just like, I, I want to start calling. So you pull a mass list. And what ends up happening to Scott's point is that 50% of those leads aren't validated very well. And you're just starting with a poor foundation, which leads to poor results. So yeah, uh, obviously we're going to get into more of that, but those are the first things that kind of come to mind. I got, I, that's good, man. I, you know, listen, there's a lot of things in here. I wonder if there are how many, I always say we have a big swath of experience levels in the room. So for some of you guys, this, you know, this might feel a little bit like we're going over some things, you know, but for a lot of you folks in the room, 
I'm sure this is very eye-opening. You haven't thought about your lists in these ways. So we're going to give you some good nuggets to take away if you're a veteran. And we're going to talk on a basic level, really simple language so you guys understand. Scott, talk to me about these right here. These were some other best practices that you think are valid coming up here in 2024. So I think the other big unlock is once you've actually built out a good account list for your team, what I've talked with a company where they're trying to do strategic outbounds. They build a good account list, but then the SDR team ends up spending like two to four hours a day to find the right three people at the company. Well, yep. here's the thing. If you look at all of your one deals and just see which contacts are attached to those one deals, depending on your sample size, you already know all the relevant titles. You might, what, what we actually do for some clients is we will literally pull every company contact in the right department and seniority, and then we'll just go one title by title to figure out yes or no. And then we'll use that to build out searches in Zoom info. You call this the buying committee in, in, a, in um, sales nav, it's the personas feature. Go bit the same way we built out an account search, you want to build out the persona search. And what this basically means is with those two steps, you have automated, like you basically save your entire SDR team, like two hours a day, sure. maybe more. You just, you click into an account, you automatically have the right people. And that's such a huge time unlock. And then there's channel validation. A lot of people just are thinking, and that basically means just calling leads. Ryan Reiser was the one who really pioneered a lot of that stuff. He's a little controversial, but he's insanely smart. Um, so. If you have what, what people don't really understand about channel validation, channel validation is not about making sure this is the right phone number. It's like, how likely are you to pick up an unknown phone caller? Yeah. That's really what we're trying to figure out. Who in your market actually is ballsy enough or brave enough to say, you know what? I'm going to roll the dice, even though that number says spam likely. I'll try talking to them. That's a personality trait. And if you can identify the 10, 20, 40% of the market that does that up front, you know, think about what's happening. Your SDR team is spending half of their day researching dials for someone that is never going to pick up that phone. Yep. And then you're trying to navigate through switchboards. What if you just were calling people who picked up the phone that just, just did that? It's, it's a valid point. I want to be cautious because I think sometimes salespeople, and you guys let me know if I'm right about this, I always interpret this as a negative aspect because I'm like, yo, are you saying you only want to talk to people that are going to move forward? Right? And that's what it sounds like. And it's, it's important that nobody in the room interpret it in that way. What he's saying is, if you know that the phone is the channel that you're seeing the most success on, double down on the resources for list building that provide phone numbers because you know your ICP, ideal customer profile, is a profile that actually picks up the phone. I want to move on because you said, uh, Jed, any final like, you know, get started, best practices that you want to bring to the table before we talk about these two sources that Scott brought to the table? Um, Not too much to say. I mean, like, I think to to Scott's point, um, yeah, there's there's really interesting tools. There's like AI that's doing it now to validate your phone. Oh, yeah. Really cool tools. Um, depending on like the budget you have as well. Like I've seen people have VAs validate phone numbers for them. It all kind of depends on the scope of your outbound motion. I think email across the board is always good. So really, there's a really easy way to validate if, if LinkedIn works for you or not. It's like, is that person active? Do they post, um, et cetera. So, um, that's my only final thoughts of channel validation. I think that's getting more and more important and accessible to people at scale. I think a few years ago, it was kind of a new idea and not everybody yeah. could go buy phone ready leads, but it's becoming more and more popular. And I think um, it's going to be accessible to more people. 
we're gonna we're gonna talk more about channel validation because I think this is a very interesting concept. So we have a, co- a whole like piece on this that I think Scott's gonna dive a little deeper into. Scott, when we talked about this, you said there were two sources, and you clarified and said these are actually two different lists that sellers should be looking at because they have a high likelihood of driving more opportunities. Talk to me about these two lists and why they're so useful. So I think the broader perspective here is. Um, I, 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 I'll try to, I'll say what I'm really saying here, um, which is that the, the, the broader idea here is in your go-to-market motion, um, no one with a VP or C to C title is automatically qualified Mm. to make decisions about what constitutes a good list. So what I mean by that is in general, for your go-to-market strategy, there's two valid sources of truth. Did your customers, people who paid you money, say it, or people who've delivered quantifiable results? Mm. So, for instance, this is a, uh, this is a little bit of a spicy take. A customer success manager who's helped get who's helped a customer get a really huge win could be a better uh, source or starting point than the CEO for a li- for a list building or messaging standpoint because they actually helped. They talked to a customer and delivered a, a value adding thing. Now, they may miss some of those larger strategic contexts, so you might need some interpretation of that, but you need to, like, what happens is people sit together in a workshop and they they dream up what they think is accurate, and the market is in a totally different place, and the team, it's, it's kind of a group thing thing. So that's what I'm really saying is when you're building a list, the first principle is start with someone who's paid you money or gotten a valuable result. That's the starting point. And then from there, that's where you can start building out the data points for good list building. It's good, right? I, I, these two sources, these customers and the people that have direct access to your customers, I feel like are almost warmer leads. I like what I'd want to label them as. And it's just because it's just because the context is so relevant to them. We've talked a lot about list criteria. I want to launch this question because some folks literally have no control over the lists that yeah. they're handed. And they have no, no control over who decides what goes on that list. So I'm curious for the folks in the room, uh, you know, who does set your list criteria? Is it yourself? Uh, you know, I see already I do is like at a major lead here. A lot of folks have control, which is really nice. Jed, these two lists, customers and people with direct, what kind of actions can people take with these two lists? How would you use that to your advantage as a seller on the front lines? Yeah. So Practical I, prospect. For sure. For sure. <laughs> So like uh, an example of this, if you're like an SDRA listening to this, um, and maybe you've been passed down like an ICP criteria for how to go about building your list. I remember being an SDR at PandaDoc uh, several years ago, and that was the same situation. I was handed an ICP. I went into Zoom Info, build out my list, and it was just, it was very generic, right? The messaging wasn't very clear. And so a very simple exercise that I started doing, and it kind of compounds every month, is at the end of each month, look at all the meetings you book. If you're an SDR, look at all the meetings you book that actually showed up and were qualified. Look at all your team's meetings book that were showed up and were qualified. You can even look at inbound as well, but inbound, it kind of depends if those are the actual targets you want to go after for outbound. And then and look at all of the key patterns and elements about those types of accounts and those types of personas. So document every single job title. Ask yourself, why did this person book a meeting? What was the primary pain point? So this not only helps you include your uh, improve your list building, but it also helps you improve your messaging if you're understanding why they took those meetings. Um, document you know, company size, industry, to the things that Scott was talking about, the technology they're using, any sort of signals you can see about that account. 
And if you do this every month and then you use that to dictate how you're going to build your list the next month, it'll just keep compounding. You'll see more and more patterns as you get more data. And then same thing on the AE side, like what are all the deals you closed? What are all the deals your team closed? Just document that. It's a very simple spreadsheet. You just put all the customers in. It's going to take you an hour or two, but it's very much worth the time. Um, and that's something that I've kind of just been doing ever since then. Uh, it's a very simple strategy that, you know, individual sellers can do. Y'all know about the practical prospecting stuff, man. Jed, Jed spits that simple stuff out that you go, oh, duh, that makes so much sense. And then when you do it, it changes all your stuff, the way that you, the way that you operate every day. Look at this as results right here. Most people are in control of the criteria, but a lot of folks still having their criteria set by their manager. You know, I would just, and it, you know, the other right here, I do now, but it's changing back. Ashley, what's up? Welcome back, Ashley. Uh, you know, look, be, be critical about these lists, you know, be, be able to send a message to your leader that says, Hey, can you explain the use case here? So I understand why it's on this list. It may or may not be qualified. I'd like some qualification there. They're willing to have that conversation, or at least I would hope that they're willing to have that conversation. Scott, this is the standard right here. This is like, this is like what everyone, if I started as an SDR today, this is essentially what I would get handed a list like this, right? Yeah, unfortunately. And the odds are, I, I think of everything from a company standpoint, the odds are if you got this list, like 75% of those companies wouldn't be a good fit. And the reason for that is say you got like a 200, say you have a 200 employee marketing and advertising company. Well, one of them could be a branding agency. One of them could be a marketing analytics company. One of them could be a marketing coaching company. And one of them could be an advertising agency. And one of them could be an advertising agency that's BB or like to roofers. And the business model could be totally different. And then within that, there's so the, the industry category niches are, are, are kind of broken. There's a lot of ways to address that. Um, but then there's also the team size, right? Say you're selling to customer success teams or operations teams. Well, first off, th those are going to have different names and different categorizations, depending on how you talk to one team. That's account management and another team, it's customer success and another team, it could be digital marketing associates, right? You don't really know. And that's why the, like the simplest hack for almost all of this is stare for, spend a very long time staring at your one deals in whatever data provider you're using, mm. whatever common trends you see among one deals in your data provider, doesn't matter what it is. That's what it'll be. Cause as long as you have the standard. As long as you know what 10 one deals look like and sales navigator or zoom info or, or whatever your other tool is, that's then you're going to win because those trends show up consistently. So that's really the key to me is like, go a little bit deeper and think about the team that you're selling into. How big is it? What jobs do they have more than, um, more than just, oh, industry and company size. Cause the team, yeah. like you could have two teams of 10 SDRs at a 50 person company and a 500 person company could be more similar than two 500 person companies, one with five and one with 50 SCRs, right? Yeah. But the team size in many cases, not always, is actually going to be more indicative of the needed, depending on your solution. Yeah. And, and you know, if you sell it to a certain department, company size is not always going to win the day for you because the department size might be like super small, especially if you're like us or like other brands out there that sell like per seat, right? If I sell to a sales team, I need like a sales team of like hundreds to potentially sell to, right? That's bigger money than it is to sell to a team of three. And that's just basic math. You can't just guarantee that because there's thousands of employees, 
that department that I sell to, the value that I deliver to that department is going to be massive, right? Uh, Jed, talk to me about this. This bar is so low when it comes to list building, right? We could add so many different things. This is like three of hundreds of those filters on Sales Navigator alone or yeah. on Zoom Info. Yeah, I want to I want to bring up one piece on the industry yeah. uh, because to Scott's point, it's not it's not just Sales Navigator. It's most data tools that have the industry filters way off or super generic and basic. And like a very specific example, I was working with a customer who sells uh, a software for rug companies. So like rug cleaning, uh, rug repair, things of that nature. But he specifically wanted to work with Oriental rug companies. So it's a very, I didn't know what Oriental rugs were until I started working with him. But anyways, so you can't just go search like Oriental rug companies, for example, right? And so we got really specific where we were able to find a filter that worked. But then for example, in Sales Navigator, you can type in keywords. And so we typed in the keyword Oriental and then we knew that that was mentioned somewhere on their company profile. Uh, it's just more than likely an Oriental. So like using those keyword filters, that's a better way to kind of get more specific on your industry. If you use Sales Navigator, look for specific keywords that are broad enough that would show you that's a, you know, they're more than likely in that industry. Yeah. Um, lots of other data tools, but I assume most people are using something like Zoom Info and Sales Navigator. And typically those let you search for keywords within the company uh, profile. <laughs> The keyword search is always that thing that I think people neglect, right? If you sell, uh, let me know in the chat if you sell to marketers. Do you sell to marketers? Yes or no in the chat. Uh, we probably have a handful of people in the room uh, that sell to marketers. I hope it's not nothing but no's, otherwise this won't be relevant. Uh, or, or yeah, there we go. A couple of yeses. Thank you. I appreciate that. Right? If you sell to marketers and you make a list in, uh, in inside of Zoom Info and the title is marketing or the function is marketing, but you're specifically after the demand persona. The keyword to add to that list is demand. And you're going to find that on those profiles. Scott, am I hitting the note here? Oh, that's that's so huge. And and so one of my friends happened to get a look at a major sales engagement data provider. or the, he, he, he got to analyze all of their one deals. And what they found was that industry had very little to do with their success rates. What they found was that if the company had both sales ops and sales enablement, there was twice the close rate. And the reason is the job title is effectively, it, it reveals the company's belief system, right? If you have like a bunch of demand gen marketers, that's a belief system. If you have a bunch of community marketers or a bunch of outbound SDRs or business partnerships, like all of those specialized job titles, that actually tells you how that company believes they can grow or solve a problem. So interesting. All right, uh, let's let's ask this question because we're going to talk more about channel validation now. That's the piece that I thought was so interesting and that a lot of folks probably need some deeper knowledge on. Uh, so I asked this question for you about the channels that you typically use. And while you guys are talking about that, Scott, a little bit deeper into this channel validation. What does it mean for sellers? What are they doing with it? What are actions that they can take to validate the channels where all these leads are coming from and hitting their list. So I'm going to uh, take a shot here at um, a normal, uh, say, a Goge sequence. Okay. Because um, what, what happens with an Goge sequence is you think you're ma maximizing the chance of contacting 200 prospects. What you're actually performing is a very messy personality test to figure out, is this person on LinkedIn? Do they check their in-mails? Do they pick up unknown phone callers? Or is there a phone tree? Do they answer emails, right? Half of the, you're, you're spending a ton of manual effort on something that's like, 
you know, you'll even know if they're viable. So, so what I would do is basically use VAs. I mean, I'm a, I question some of the AI claims right now. I, 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 with air.ai, I think someone will be able to do, and I think a lot of the phone validation services are basically just VAs right now with an AI label slapped on top. But anyway, that's uh, aside from that, what we're really trying to figure out is one, is this contact information actually correct? Because if you're spending 60 to 100K on a BDR, you do not want that person calling calling leads that aren't real, especially when a VA can do it for 50 cents. Right. Then what you're trying to figure out is where is this person most responsive? So what we're starting to roll out for ourselves and our clients is I'm going to build a ton of micro segments on my list. Who picks up the phone? Great. I'll call just those people with a phone heavy cadence. Who's on late? Who's active on LinkedIn? Great. They get a connection request. Who has an open in-mail profile? Great. I'll send them all open in-mails. You get eight in-mails. You get 800 every month. And then who was a valid email? Great. I'll send an AI personalization email. That's a first touch. And then from there, I now have engaged my entire list with virtually zero manual personalization and effort. And you can die. I did say a gosh, Adrian. And then you can dive into the people that are actually engaging and responsive and likely to be in a buying yeah. So that's what I'm really saying. I, it's it's channel validation. You're testing it, but you're really checking channel preference. Where does and I think if you think more broadly about why it works, everyone's on a smartphone, and smartphones are overwhelming if you pay attention to everything. So what have what you're basically saying? What kind of smartphone and and technology habits does this person have? I that, you know I I love that because I think it capitalizes on the dopamine hit that comes along with the device usage that all professionals tend to have an addiction to. Uh, you know, it reminds me, though, of all the notifications. You mentioned that it's overwhelming. Uh, let me know in the chat how what's the biggest number of notifications that you have on your device right now. Are you one of those, like, 2,000 unread message people? I can't with you. <laughs> Jed, what do you got for this? Um, honestly, I mean, not too much to add there. I, 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 I mean... Yeah, I, I agree. I think the uh, the Agoja, the Agoji sequence that's like been super popular for a long time. Um, I think I don't know when that started. It was at least when I started getting into tech sales, it was popular. But yeah, I think, like modern sequences or the way that you should go about building them today are much shorter, much harder hitting, um, not so aggressive back to back to back with all these different channels because you're just wasting a lot of effort. Um, I prefer much shorter, harder hitting sequences. And then I follow up with the people that engage after that. So like to kind of give you an example, when I was at Mailshake, we couldn't afford to to necessarily get like some channel validation software to confirm if people pick up their phones, things of that nature. I imagine a lot of people don't have that, that same budget as well. But what we would do is like run short sequences. And then the people that would open the emails or click on the emails that hadn't responded, they would then go into like a nurture sequence where they would get more and more emails because we know they were opening and clicking. The people who we would call and there was an actual voicemail with them saying their name. So we had a, a, a strong validation that that was their mobile number. They would get more calls after the short sequence. And then the people that are actually active on LinkedIn or accepted our connection requests, we would maybe do like a Dripify campaign with more messages. So it was like a short sequence with all three channels to, to Scott's point, we're not doing like 20 steps to waste all that time. It's a very short sequence with all three channels. And then they go into like different nurture sequences, depending on which channel they were uh, most engaged on. That's a good method. I, you know, I, I'm anti, you know, 26 touch sequence cadence at this point. I like, I just, I want to make good messaging and I, you know, I loved what you guys are saying about like better list building skills increases, improves the messaging behind it, right? Yes. Because 
because you're finding those core contextual points that are relevant, you're going to find more success in the messaging you create as a result of them landing on that list. This is, uh, you know, 2.0 prospecting in my view, right? We can't talk about this without talking about, look at these, man, look at these results. We got some good results here. A lot of folks using LinkedIn still. That's who's providing most of people's lists in my, I'm wondering like, when is the next big thing that is going to come out that's going to like take the place of LinkedIn having like the list that everybody wants to sell to? So, uh, the real constraint there is basically, is someone going to be able to get real-time scraping of LinkedIn? Fair enough. That's because that's the whole Justin Michael calls LinkedIn the self-healing database, right? Right, right. That's the real constraint. Anyway, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some mistakes. I don't think that we can discuss list building without talking about the mistakes that so many people make. I'm guilty of a lot of these. I hope you all see yourself in this show because that's what we're aiming for. Uh, Scott, break some of these mistakes down. What do they mean? Like not enough variables. What variables? Sure. Um, so, so for me. It's industries. My short list is industries, keywords, um, company size is a good one in general. Technology on the website, if you're using Clay, you can enrich technology from job posts with predict leads. So you can find, oh, they mentioned Snowflake on their job post. Great. Oh, they mentioned Outreach or um, Showpad. They, you can do that, um, which is a game changer for, for some of those technographics. Right, right. Um, how many people in the department, right? And and it doesn't exactly matter across platform. The question is, in that one platform, if you're using SalesNav, what do your customers have in common on SalesNav, right? So you, you, that's the key is like, ev so the, the basic rule of thumb is everything you can fill out, like you could almost do it this way. You build a list of customers or one deals inside of SalesNav, like an account search, and then you keep adding on more and more filters until like 80% of the customers are still there. And then you take out the customer list filter and everyone else is there. And, and then, nice. you, then you see all your target accounts. So it's like- That's a good strategy there. I've done, yes. It, so it's, it's really like industries, keywords, technologies, um, company size, department size, specialized job titles. Um, if you can, that's like good enough for most people. Um, other stuff you can lay on, layer on is like you can error correct the industry with ocean and layer the other stuff on. You can look at specialized job titles. Um, I think both data providers other than sales now have that feature. You yeah. can check that Clay lets you unlock a lot of this other stuff. Like you can check for keywords on the website. You can ask chat GPT a question about the homepage or, or tell, ask it to research that company, those kinds of things. And then there's also other useful triggers of like, Hey, was a senior leader hired before this purchase? Mm. And this is where you get into triggers and time-based stuff. I like having two searches, like my general total addressable market, and then a few different trigger searches of like, okay, this company is probably in a buying cycle. They're hiring the right kind of people. This this department is growing a lot. The overall company is growing a lot. Um, they just announced a funding round. They announced a partnership. They did a product launch. Whatever, whatever basically anything you can find on your one deals like what happened in the three to six to 12 months before they bought from you. Uh, this historical look, ba look back is probably full of clues and triggers and frustrations that you could use to your advantage in your messaging. So I really like that as a strategy. And then having that customer list for to recap for y'all, 
having that customer list and having people like them on there, then removing your customers, excluding your customers, and then everybody that's left on there with the keyword search, man, that is uh, that is a solid strategy. So I might put that into employment myself. Jed, when you are out there coaching countless reps, because that's your that's your thing, man. You've coached a lot of frontline reps on better messaging, better list building strategies, uh, better use of technology. What mistakes have you seen that people could improve on more often? Um, I think Scott covered a lot of them with uh, making more n- narrow or focused lists. I think the biggest one I see is people not taking it seriously enough about how important it is to build an effective list. It's literally the foundation of everything else you're going to do when it comes to emailing, calling, LinkedIn messaging. Like if that foundation is off and everything else is going to suffer as a result. Um, to Scott's point, like what I would recommend doing is after you kind of analyze all your customers, get as specific as possible with what type of list you want to build. Like build out your dream list. Imagine that you know, you could wave a magic wand and all data points on every type of company were available to you and you could go find those exact type of companies. And then the next thing I would do is go try to find data providers that have that. Scott mentioned Clay. Clay is one of my favorite tools for that because it gives you pretty much every sort of data point you could think of. We got a good question here from Larry on Clay. Let's pause right there. What's Clay? Um, I can explain Scott can too. Clay is basically, the way I like to describe Clay is it's like one tool that integrates with dozens of other data providers. And so you can go in and build a hyper-specific list based on whatever data points are important to you because they're pulling it in from not just AI to spray websites and things of that nature, but also they're integrated with Apollo. Um, uh, why am I blanking on other names? Prospio, a bunch of like, you name the data provider, they probably are integrated with it. So whereas if you go directly into Apollo, you might get limited data. If you go into Clay, you're going to have a lot more data because it's cross-checking different data providers. Um that's a good that's a good answer. Larry, I would strongly recommend that you check Clay out. It's been useful for a lot of folks. They talk about it frequently on this show. It's got a great reputation. Uh, when you guys talked earlier, when we were talking about things that people don't do, you said that managers often don't make lists for their reps. Scott, why does this matter to you so much? Why uh, like I feel as a rep, we saw when we asked like who's responsible for your criteria? Yeah. 80% of the people in the room are building their own lists. As a rep, you can let me know in the chat. Would you feel insulted if your manager handed you a list they curated for you, like you couldn't do it? Uh, talk to me, Scott. Why, what, what's the what's the magic here? So, I think this is this is like this is it. I understand the broader problem here is a lot of companies. This is going to be a little hard hitting, but a lot of companies what they're effectively doing is they're crowdsourcing, finding the right go-to-market plan, outbound go-to-market, by just hiring a bunch of SDRs and giving them Zoom info and hoping they figure it out. There's no consistency. There's a lot of duplicated effort. And it's a huge amount of waste of time. Like, if you're... So so first thought, the manager can't build the list if the manager doesn't have the skills to do so. Mm. Right. That's if you can't map your ICP into data points and 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 the, it maps it well enough that it actually creates a good list, then it then no manager doing it is not a good idea. But what's effectively happening in a lot of teams is SDRs are spending two hours a day just spot checking a bad bad infrastructure. So my my thing is like, well, maybe the manager doesn't do it. The manager might not do it, but someone should add a at a systematic way. Like the the outcome that I think is smart is either A, you need to give your SDRs the tools and training to build their own lists that are very deep and have a lot of criteria, or 
you need to take it all the way to the point where your SDRs just wake up with call tasks and personalized emails tasks. And less than five or 10% of the time, the lead is a leader contact data is bad. One of those two options has to be possible because just saying, hey, here's Zoom info, figure it out is not a good, that's not a good strategy. And it guarantees that like 80 to 90% of the team's time is going to get wasted. Yeah. You know, I've had good and bad experiences with lists being created for me. And I think that right. when I create my own list, you know, it's, there's always going to be a percentage that's a miss, but I always feel like I can find the context if I make the list and that's going to improve right. my messaging. We've said that a couple of times. Uh, Jed, I want to talk about these uh, tools and techniques. You use a lot of tools. You have a lot of techniques at your disposal. Uh, and we'll pass to Scott here so that he could talk about some of his. But one of the ones that stood out to me here was shorter contact sequences. You already said, like, it's not about the big, long play here. It's about smaller or even more uh, direct approaches and then leading to a nurture sequence. Tell me about that. Yeah. So this is something that uh, I had implemented at Mailshake uh, about two years ago, where previously all of our sequences were like 80 emails long, like six phone calls, all this stuff. And I, I, noticed, I noticed a few things. And if you're an SDR, you probably relate to this. Super long sequences with a lot of manual touches just pretty much never get completed. Like you'll get halfway through and then the rep gives up and moves on to a new sequence. Um, the second thing is like, I'm like after being on the decision-making side and being targeted with these, I've just never seen a good A email sequence. Like if I've got the first four and I haven't responded, I'm not going to like, you may get a few more responses after the sixth, seventh and eighth email, but the, the disproportionate amount of people you're going to piss off or get spam complaints for um, it, it just completely outweighs those a couple extra positive replies. And so that's like the, that's the whole, that's the context behind it. And the last reason is deliverability as well. Like the only people, the only time I block somebody on email, which I've had to do plenty of times is when I get the seventh, eighth, ninth email. And it's like, this is never ending. And yeah. so when you kind of start to block people and that hurts your deliverability. So that's the context for why it's shorter sequences. And then like you mentioned it, Scott, or like you mentioned it, uh, James, it's, it's typically like a four email sequence, two threads. So one email with a kind of like a bump or a context email after that. And another email a few days later with another bump. Um, and then depending on the engagement, if somebody has been opening more than 50% of the emails or clicking on the emails, we send them down more of a nurture sequence with kind of like light touches, resources, um, and then light call to actions throughout the sequence. Um, and then if they're answering phone calls or, or you know, we, we can call the phone number and actually hear their voicemail. That's a big thing. A lot of numbers you call, it goes directly to uh to um to hang up or whatnot we don't continue to call those numbers right they're never going to answer and so yeah. then we call the number that are actually ringing all the way through and so that's kind of the the primary strategy and when you think about how that relates to the lists you know i i it's a it's an incredible thing to think about a list of people that i've created being more effective in a smaller shorter sequence because i've really zeroed in on that target with all the criterias that I've put together for that per, that list of people. Maybe I start out with 8,000, maybe I whittle it down to 20, but maybe six of 20 respond in my first touch and say, this is absolutely relevant, let's talk. I would much rather go through that process uh, than just like a list of thousands that I'm blasting out the same generic message. Scott, real quick on virtual assistants, because that was a shocker for me. I wouldn't have thought that was an option. Is this something that's common? And then we're going to move to Q&A. Common meaning are a lot of teams doing it? Yeah, like are are lots of sellers and leaders having virtual assistants create lists for them and trusting those lists? Uh it did, okay, so the hard part with that is not the short answer is not enough of them are, 
what I would just say is like task minions, Aditya Prakash, Moaz, uh, Moaz at Cloudly, just contact those guys. You'll get like, you, you still need to have a good quality inputs. Like you need to understand your ICP and what data funds. But as far as contact data, here's the thing. They already have multiple data providers and they're cross-checking multiple data providers and they have a team to check responsiveness, build willingness to engage. They can, it's in many cases, you have one core data provider like Zoom Info. You're going to want to check additional data providers. It's just cheaper and easier to pay them to check the other data providers for you and, and validate the numbers. Zoom Info does have this. It's the only platform for now, which actually has this built in. It's a little fire icon on your phone number. So if I was a rep and I was in Zoom Info, what I would do is I would only call 100% accurate. I would only email 100% accurate emails and I would only call email or calls with the fire icon. And I, then I would only personalize emails like manually that have the fire icon on email or that I've got opens or click multiple opens or clicks on. So that's yeah. kind of my, my mindset is it's just layers of 80, 20, where you're like, how can I, where is the point of diminishing return? Right. Right. That's what you, that's what you're doing. And so VA should be a big part of that. Technology can be a big part of that. So I, I'll drop them in the chat. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. Hattie, we will, he'll drop those in the chat for you. Some good stuff right there. Uh, I am the same. I, I look for validated information. And if you're pushing people into your CRM, a list that you created on your CRM, uh, definitely make sure that you're looking at that fire icon. If you're a Zoom Info user, look at that fire icon. If you're a caller, that fire icon is the most important icon that you can see on that profile, that particular contact record. Let's answer some questions here. Uh, let's start off with Jed. This one's from Caitlin. Thoughts, feelings, opinions on using... Uh, Okay, so uh, Sales Navigator versus Zoom Info. What do you got there? Yeah, uh, Apollo for prospecting versus Sales Navigator versus Zoom Info. Um, so first off, I mean, if you're using Sales Navigator, you need some sort of data provider to get the emails and phone numbers. Right. Obviously, Sales Nav. So I, I'm going to be honest. I, I see so much conflict. Like people hate Zoom Info. People love Zoom Info. People hate Apollo. People love like Zoom Info is a great platform. Apollo is a great platform. I think they're all great. I think just test them out, see which one works best for you. I wouldn't stress about data quality. I would stress more about the filtering that you have available. And I think Apollo and Zoom Info both have really good data quality. And then ideally you get multiple, right? Like I, I would always recommend having at least two data providers if you can. Um, and both of those options, Apollo and Zoom Info are, are fantastic. Good stuff right there. Uh, you know, it's all about what fits your tech stack and your flow and your industry too. One provider might have great information in X industry and another provider might have great information in Y industry. Very important that you realize not all data providers are created equal, but they can all accomplish similar goals if you're using the right ones that have the right industries for focus. This one comes from Alex Scott. He says, what's better to use for a search or personas, uh, account or persona search for Navigator or maybe both? Is this two lists that exist in Navigator for you? So um, persona search on its own is not going to get good results. And the reason for that, for the average B2B sales team, because there are so, the problem is there are so many variables about whether a company is a good fit, independent of a person. Like if you were just selling coaching, like one-to-one -one coaching that's or consulting, that's a different story. But yeah. for the average B2B sales rep, you have to start with account, save them into a list, move that list into contacts. That's the only, because otherwise, because you're selling to a team, you can't get headcount growth for the company. You can't get department headcount technologies. None of that's available. 
You have to know what's available at your disposal when you're making these lists. I want to thank our two experts for coming and sharing their insights, their wisdom on the show today. You guys always get a lot of great value from the people that we bring on the show. We appreciate our audience, the best audience in the world. Connect with us on social. You're all going to get a survey after this. Let us know. How did we do? What do you want to see more of? Uh, you know, rate rate us, y'all. We want your feedback. That's why we create this stuff. Also, feel free to reach out to me directly. I've never met a stranger in my life at Say What Sales on any social media platform out there. We will see you guys tomorrow with another stellar guest to help you sell better. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks again, fellas.